Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Derek, one of the other pastors here. Uh, I love that song. Sometimes, you know, we, we sing these songs full of repetition, but that word, when we know what it means, is a great word to just repeat. You know, the angels, when Jesus was born, cried out, Alleluia. I mean, what better way to worship than just praise be to God. Sometimes I think we, we try and be eloquent, and we don't need to be. God just wants our hearts, and so that's a great way to, to sing out with our hearts. Let me pray, and we can get into the Word. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for music. We thank you for words like alleluia. Um, when we, we don't have the words to say, but our hearts want to praise you, we praise you. We're here because of you. This season is because of you, Jesus. We're remembering you coming as a baby, uh, being born, growing into a man, and giving your life for us. And now we give our lives back to you because you purchased us. Uh, you bought us. We belong to you. Now, be with us this morning. I pray that you would open up our minds and our hearts to your word and what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. We are finishing up Ephesians, so you can go ahead and turn to Ephesians. Anybody remember what happened on December 7th, 1941? <laughs> now, many of us probably weren't born yet, but that was a day that would live in infamy, as was stated. On December 7th, 1941, the Japanese attacked us at Pearl Harbor. 2,400 Americans were killed in that day. And that was the worst attack on human soil until September 11th, 2001. Maybe more of us remember that day. I remember, you probably remember where you are. That's one of those times where when, it, when, when that was made known to you, a lot of times time just froze. For me, I was in a locker room. And I remember people talking about, you know, the Twin Towers being attacked. I was in Russia at the time, so I, had, I didn't even own a TV. And it was one of those, I didn't know, it was hours later. And it was just kind of slow motion where you hear, what, what happened? How many died? And what is the unique thing about both of those attacks, the two greatest attacks on Americans on American soil, is they both caught us by surprise. You know, you read the, the reports and the studies, and there was warnings on both. There were those who said this is possible, this might, you know, there were some warnings, but they weren't heard. In general, they were a surprise. And by that surprise, we lost those little battles. Now, of course, we, we were able to come back in both situations and, and have some victories. But isn't that war? Isn't that battle? One of the best ways to win is to take advantage and surprise the enemy. Now, we're finishing up the book of Ephesians, and here Paul is going to talk to us about our battle with the enemy, our enemy, the devil, Satan, and his demons. And one of the greatest strategies I think the enemy has is catching us off guard. In fact, in, in the book of Corinthians, Paul says, you know, we don't want to be unaware. We know the devil's schemes. We're not going to be surprised. And so one of his strategies, Paul here in teaching, is that we are going to be aware there is an enemy. Let's not be ignorant of his schemes, who he is, what he's trying to accomplish, but let's be ready. And here he's going to describe our spiritual armor. It's really just another way of him describing putting on our new self. Remember in Ephesians a couple chapters ago where we saw we put on our new self. We take off our old self. We put on our new self, which is really Christ-likeness. And really, it's walking in the Spirit. It's walking in Jesus in us. And so here he's going to use some, some pictures to help us understand what does it look like to actually battle. Now, again, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. 
but we have to remember the context. We're finishing the book today, so we've got to set up the context. The first three chapters were all about who you are in Christ, the blessings that are yours. You're adopted. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. All these wonderful blessings. Our hope is secure in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. So we're saved by grace, this free gift. And then Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God would prepare beforehand that we would walk in him. So we see these blessings, and then the second three chapters, starting in Ephesians 4, begins with, therefore, walk worthy. Because of all these things, this free gift of salvation, this free gift of the Holy Spirit, we are so blessed. We have hope, we have joy. I mean, the things that we're singing about, now, because of those things in Christ in you, live like it. You know, I think that's one of the things where we've missed a lot of times in the Christian church is we think we get our salvation card, our get-out-of-jail-free card, basically, our get-out-of-hell-free card. But then we continue with life and just go, yeah, but I'm saved. You know, when I was a kid, I prayed a prayer, so I'm good. That's not what the Bible teaches. Who you are then leads to a different kind of life. And as we've looked at the past few weeks, it's the life that's best for you and for me. That God, as the designer, because of who we are, now he lays out, here's what marriage looks like. Here's what it looks like to be a, a child. Here's what it looks like to be an employee and an employer. As we do things God's way, filled with his spirit, it goes better for us. Now, we make a mistake, though, when we think we're just, you know, our, our only enemy is maybe ourselves. A lot of times we realize our worst enemy is ourselves. But there's actually somebody, a person, coming against us. You know, this is the first note in your notes, setting up the context. Because of Christ in us, we as Jesus followers enter a process of growing in love, purity, holiness, ministry effectiveness, right relationships, and all around Christ-likeness. That's a long note. But that, that kind of starts to speak to the mission of what happens. That we come to know Jesus and then he wants to grow us. We're new creations. He wants to change us to be like Jesus. He wants us to love what God loves. Because we love him and we love others, he changes us. And so there's a twofold mission as Christians. And our, our mission statement here, it's written somewhere. I think it's outside now. Uh, but we exist to expand the kingdom of God in our lives and the world around us. There's kind of two missions. One is our own growth. And then the second is the growth of others. Meaning me with you, you with, with me, with one another. And then those outside the church to expand the kingdom in our own lives, that, that Jesus gets more and more control of us and then more and more control of others. So we go, we share the gospel. We introduce people to Jesus. Then we help them grow. We help their marriages flourish and thrive and become like Christ. These two great missions. But there is an enemy. In 1 Peter 5.8, Peter wrote, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So this is the enemy, the devil. And he's wandering this earth like a lion. I mean, picture a lion stalking its prey, looking for someone to devour. And how does the lion, tries to catch him by surprise, sneak up, right? Get him by surprise. Who is the devil? The devil, or Satan, is not a concept, not an idea, not just evil in general. The devil is an actual real person. Satan is his name. He was an angel. In fact, he was one of the highest angels, you know, maybe on par with Gabriel, maybe above Gabriel. 
but he was beautiful. He was created by God. And at some point, he didn't want to play second fiddle to God anymore, so he rebelled. Pride was his sin. He rebelled against God. He took a third of the angels with him in this rebellion, and, of course, they were cast out of heaven. We see these throughout uh, the Old Testament, Ezekiel 28, and a couple other places where we get some pictures. Now, to be honest, some of the things around Satan are, are foggy, uh, you know, of his rebellion. I mean, I'll be honest, there's some I don't understand. How could the highest created being think he could overthrow God, you know, as a created being? A.W. Tozer, as you read him, he talks about God with angels. And God being not created, being the creator, is as far above the angels as he is above a caterpillar. You know, because just like a caterpillar, angels are created beings. So, so how could that happen? I don't know exactly. And we won't know. Maybe until the end, and maybe we won't even care when we end up being with Christ. But here's what we do know. Satan is real. The devil is real, and he has power. Every New Testament writer writes about him, every single one. 19 books in the New Testament refer to him. So he exists. He is a liar. He is a murderer. And he is out to get us. He lost against God. And so what, what would he do? He would come after God's people. And he would come after those who might be God's people. He is active in this earth. And so what do we do? As Peter said, we're sober-minded, watchful. We are not ignorant of his scheme. So with that, let's look at Ephesians 6. There is a powerful enemy, Satan and demons, organized and acting against God and us in our mission. There's the context. So, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak." Finally, after looking at this whole book so far, he ends with this. Finally, after the blessings that are yours in Christ, because Jesus came, died on the cross, rose from the dead. We are chosen in him, adopted. Finally, after that, after now this, this admonition to walk, he ends with this. And I think there's a really good reason. Because if we read the first three chapters, of course, we're going, yes, this is awesome. And then we read on, we're like, yeah, let's walk worthy. Walk in wisdom. I want to do that. Submit to one another sounds good, you know. Why submit to husbands? Doesn't sound as good. But, but okay, I'm going to do that, you know. Husbands, love your wives. You know, when we understand it, it is, it is a wonderful, beautiful thing. Husbands, you know, we read all this and we go, great. But then if we think that we just enter this, 
without there being an enemy, we make a big mistake. And I think the church has made this mistake often in that we just join this social club. And now we like each other, mostly. You know, we all believe kind of the same thing, mostly. And so let's just get together and sing hallelujah, which is great. We should do that. But then we, we kind of end there. And I'll tell you this. I think when we get into this kind of passive uh, consumer Christian mentality, I think Satan just goes, great. <laughs> and says, you've done my work for me. And he just lets us go. When we don't engage the mission, meaning I'm going to be changed to be like Christ. You know, the word of God, it says, is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and judging the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Meaning, as we study scripture, the Holy Spirit is going to open you up and go, here's some things that aren't in line with me. And when we engage the mission, we, we go, I agree, God. This is called repentance. I agree that those are wrong, and I want to go your way. That's part of it. When we just go, I'm good, I'm saved, we're on the bench. We're not in the game. And then the second part of that, when we as a church get in our holy huddle and we're like, this is great, we like each other, forget everybody else, they're evil. Again, Satan, I think, just goes, great, you stay there, rather than moving to advance the kingdom. When we do that, the enemy is going to go, no, I'm coming against that church. I'm coming against those people. This powerful enemy wants to stop us. But here's the good news. The battle really isn't ours. Colossians 1.13 refers to this battle. It's going to be on the screen here. You don't have to turn there. But it says that he, referring to Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. I love this verse because it gives us a picture of this battle, this war. There is a spiritual battle, spiritual enemies. It says in the heavenly places we saw. That means the places here that we can't see. It's not somewhere out there. It's here that we can't see. But Jesus came on the cross and it is finished, defeated Satan right there on the cross then rose from the dead victorious. When he rose from the dead, the curtain in the temple tore in half, something that was impossible, and earth, all these things, boom, it is finished. Jesus wins. And when that happens, when we place our faith in him as Lord, then he transfers us. He takes us from this domain of darkness where we're enslaved to sin and the devil, and he transfers us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Starts now, goes into eternity. Awesome. But you see, this is, this is a battle. I mean, Jesus gave his life in this battle. This isn't passive, hunky-dory, religious Christianity. Jesus came and gave his life. That, that's war. And so now us, we engage in this. And what's he say in verse 12? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And then he lists who we wrestle against. All these are kind of different ideas for demons. Demons led by Satan. Cosmic powers, they are powerful, but again, they're created by God. You know, James, Jesus' half-brother, wrote, wrote, Submit, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I mean, the battle between Jesus and a, and a demon is, there is no battle. I mean, just as we read, as we were reading here, Rick read in Luke, where Jesus encountered this legion of demons, many, many demons in one It wasn't a battle. He's like, hey, you guys should leave. They're like, oh, do we have to? Yeah. I, I mean, that's the battle. So for us, we submit to God. He handles it. But this picture of wrestle is helpful. I don't know if anybody in here was a wrestler. I was a wrestler. That was one of my sports in high school. But, but wrestling is, is close. 
You know, it, it's a close, it's a, it's a moves and counter moves. And, you know, and you're, that's this picture that we have is, is of a wrestle. It's kind of this ongoing battle where we move, you know, and, and Satan's moving and the de- they're trying to get us. And so we're aware, we're alert. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He said, I will build my church. I think this is helpful. Leave that up if you would. Because what he's saying is he's going to do the battling and it's going to win. And so as you leave that up, what do we see in some of these verses repeated? Stand. We see it in verse 11, 13, and 14. Our command is to stand. Why? Because Jesus is the fighter. (laughs) Jesus is the one that wins. Read the book of Revelation. In the end, there's going to be a great war called Armageddon. And guess what? We watch. We don't fight. We're on horses. That's the picture we're given. Jesus does battle. And so here we stand in Jesus. Be strong, verse 10. Be strong in the Lord. That's actually a passive verb, meaning this is happening to you. Be strengthened, and and it's constantly, be continually strengthened in the Lord. He's offering it. All we have to do is stand in him and be strengthened. But does that mean we just passively sit, let go and let God? We just attend church and be religious and the Holy Spirit will do all the work? No, it actually means he is doing the work and we're following. That's why I like the idea of disciple as a Jesus follower, not a Jesus sitter. We are follow, we're going with him. God works through his people, not around them. And so as we go on mission together, the enemy comes against us. Now, he says here, um, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That you is plural. This isn't, you know, maybe you've seen the movies where the battle happens and it's like one person who's awesome running through like it. That's actually not the picture given here. It's you, you all, we battle together. He says, y'all stand. Those of you who were in Texas this last week, you know, y'all stand, stand together. And we're going to see that picture throughout uh, the, the picture of the armor. But you all stand, you all battle. And here's some strategies. He begins in verse 12, uh, verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, all of it, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand firm. Stand therefore, verse 14, having fastened on the belt of truth. There's the first piece of the armor. So there's, there's two somewhat pictures we have of the armor. The first is the Roman soldier. You know, Paul is writing, and at this time, Paul is imprisoned by the Romans. So every day, Paul is looking at Romans in their, in their armor. And so he would be able to describe this. Any person reading this in the city of Ephesus would have an idea uh, of what a Roman soldier would look like. That's one picture, and it's helpful. The other is in the Old Testament, often God is referred to as the divine warrior. And so there's pictures. Some of these pieces of armor are referred to directly in the Old Testament, which gives us even a better picture of, of what is meant by that piece. But here, the belt of truth. For the, for the Roman soldier, that was the first piece they put on. They put on this belt because the breastplate would fasten to it. Their sword would attach to it. When they would go into battle, maybe you've, you've heard in Scripture, gird up your loins. 
That was a picture of they'd have a robe. They'd roll it up, and they'd stick it in, into that belt so that they could run. Uh, remember uh, Braveheart, those of you who are a little bit older. And, and they're running, and they've got those kilts. That's kind of the idea. You see these white legs running. But, you know, they, they, without the belt, they're tripping over their, their, their cloak. So the belt is the belt of truth. Throughout Ephesians, we've seen truth referred to. And there's somewhat two ideas with this belt of truth. One is truth as in absolute truth. The truth is in Jesus Christ. The truth is God is the creator. Jesus died on the cross to gain us salvation. No other religion is true. The truth found in scripture is true. And so we believe that truth. Meaning, how do we belt on truth? What is your source for what is true? Is the Bible and God one among many? Or is it the source? Is it this and science textbooks? You know, if science disagrees with Scripture, guess what, what wins? Scripture's never been proven false. Science is repeatedly uh, replaced with a new theory. Uh, Dr. Phil, Oprah, I mean, whatever the world is telling you, if it's different than what God says, we go with what God says. True. This is helpful when you're battling, when you're in life, and maybe you're tempted by something. You know, maybe I'm the only one tempted by things. But, but there's, there's this thing dangled, and it's like, hey, this is attractive. You should go here. One of the ways we built on truth is to go, no, God says this way is better. I believe his way is better. I'm going to go that way. He is true, not, oh, maybe this sin would be fulfilling more than what God No, the truth is God's way is ultimately true. Here's the other side of truth. It's that of integrity and honesty of living. It's the opposite of hypocrisy. So we believe the truth, and then we live honestly with truth. That's why we emphasize groups so much at, at this church, is we want to get together and do life together, honestly, being known and being loved in our filthiness and then brought through to be like Christ. So that's the part of the belt of truth. The next is the breastplate of righteousness. What is the breastplate of righteousness? Actually, I skipped a note, forgive me, if you're a note taker, you already noticed that. It says, we are vulnerable to the enemy when we resist the truths taught in Scripture and or when we are dishonest or hypocritical. It opens up ourselves to the enemy. But we're protected when we study the truth, know the truth, and live honestly. So now the breastplate, the best picture we have of this breastplate is from Isaiah 59, again with God as the divine warrior, where he puts on a breastplate of righteousness. This idea is also somewhat twofold. The first is righteousness as in justification, that we are right with God because of Jesus' death on the cross. So we, we put on this breastplate, which, which protects our heart, which is the idea that because of Jesus, me and God are good. You know, that's it. So... We have this on when somebody is coming along saying, you need to work for your salvation, you know, or, or you're dirty, you need to do better or God won't love you. No, the idea is I'm, all, I'm righteous, not self-righteous, but God looks at me as clean because of Jesus. It's the great exchange. Jesus on the cross took my filth. He rose from the dead. When I place my faith in him, he gives me a, a new coat that's him. And so the father looks at me and says, son, I love you. You're forgiven. You're part of my family. So, this, so righteousness, we are right with God. What hope, what security that gives us. And what a defense that is to the lies that the enemy would tell us about ourselves. Here's the other idea of righteousness. It's, it's a walk. Most of the time in scripture when the word righteousness is used, it's referring to a right way of living. 
it's walking worthy. It's walking in line with the new person you are. Think about how, doesn't that, or how does that protect us against the enemy? When we're tempted, when there's sin, when we actually believe God and go his way, Again, James said, submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee. When we say no to Satan and we walk God's way, the enemy, there's no power. He just has to walk away. So one of our great defenses is walking in obedience to God's word. That's the righteousness that he's talking about. When we instead, oh, sorry, make sure I get these notes right because this is in your notes. We are vulnerable to the enemy when we willfully walk in sin and disobedience to God, living as our old self. We open up ourselves to the enemy's attack. Now, as Christians, clearly, he's writing to Christians, the enemy can come after us. The enemy can tempt us, can attack us, can attempt to lead us astray. And when we willfully continue to walk in sin, we become calloused. We saw this earlier in Ephesians. We can become calloused uh, to the things of God and calloused to sin. And it gives the devil a foothold. So there's the breastplate of righteousness. We're protected by God when we live as the new person we are. Now look at verse 15. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now here are these shoes uh, many looking at this would say this is referring to, you know, look at the Roman soldier. Their shoes, they would wear these cleats uh, that they would strap on these sandals so that they could stand firm. That is a good picture, but there's actually a better picture because the words Paul uses are directly mirrored in Isaiah 52.7. And so a better reference to what are these shoes is in Isaiah 52.7 where it says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Look at the main words in our passage and in this, feet, gospel, peace. This is what Paul has in mind. So what he's talking about is us knowing the truth of Jesus and being prepared to share that truth. So you see, this is standing. We stand against the enemy by proclaiming the gospel. We are vulnerable to the enemy when we do not understand the gospel and are not prepared to share it with lost souls. We are all called to be a witness. Some have the gift of evangelism, wonderful, but we are all called to be a witness, to have relationships with those who don't know Jesus yet, be ready and willing to share. Not that we all need to be eloquent. In fact, it's probably best not to, to you know, have this perfect speech prepared. We're in relationships. We're loving people and pointing them to Jesus. We're prepared to share the gospel. Arnold writes that the proclamation of the gospel represents a major assault on the kingdom of Satan. Maybe you've heard this phrase, witness always and when necessary use words. I hate that phrase. I do, because you cannot witness without words. Nobody can come to know the truth of Jesus' death and resurrection without words. You know, Scripture says, how will somebody believe unless they hear? And how will somebody hear unless someone else is sent? Meaning we are sent, and Jesus said, as I have been sent, now I send you. So we're sent, yes, to love, yes, to serve, but absolutely to speak at some point. We speak and we share the gospel. What uh, an advance that is. 
I will tell you, this is a big reason why Common Ground began four years ago. That's why we started. Because in our city, we are roughly 5% church, 95% on church. What do we need? We need to move. <laughs> we need to go make disciples. We need to get into the city and make a difference and share the gospel. That's God's plan for us. So the shoes we bolt on are preparing to share the gospel and then going in and doing it. Now, the next ones, we're going to see a, a shield and a helmet. And these say take up. The other ones say put on. And they were kind of passive. The, the words used for the other ones are kind of, you know, here they are, take them. You know, again, it's somewhat what passive, like the shoes, we just hold it. God's making it available. The shield and the helmet, he says, take these up. And so the picture is that we're more, a little bit more active with those. There's times where we have to take these up and put them on. And what does he say in verse 16? In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. So we take it up at certain times, and it's all times. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, in, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. This has a really good picture with the Roman army. So the Romans would have these big wooden shields like a small door. They would cover them with leather, and then they would soak them in water, heavy. But when the enemies would shoot these flaming darts, you know, they would group together, you know, and that some would come from behind and put them over. Maybe you've seen the movies, uh, 300 and others. And when these flaming arrows would hit, they would be extinguished in the wet leather. That is really a good picture. And what is it that extinguishes these darts that the enemy will, will throw? You know, what, and these could be, I mean, myriad. That's what it's talking about. All these various attacks. Uh, you're not good enough. You're not actually saved. You have to work for your salvation. You know, uh, Jesus is it. Whatever these might be, we pick up the shield of faith, and they hit and just go out. No power. Faith. We believe what God says, and we trust him. God is good. We believe that. God is all-powerful, right? And he's all-knowing. So he, he wants what's best for us. He knows what's best for us, and he can do it. Therefore, what, what option do we have but to trust, especially when we don't understand? Because a lot of times, we'll, God, look at my life. Look at, this, look at these things happening. I don't get it. He says, and you might not ever get it until the end, but trust me. Do you trust I'm good? Yes. Do you trust I could do something about this if it was best? I do. Then trust. And boom, those darts at the enemy, they, they hit and they extinguish because of faith. Again, the best picture, Genesis 15.1. God speaking to Abraham, he says, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. W what is our shield? It's God. James, submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. We don't have to fight on our own. Really, we get to just hide behind a shield and let God do the work. Trust him. Trust him. He will not leave us nor forsake us. You will experience great victory in life if your first response in every situation is to trust God in and through it. First we trust. You know, Then we can maybe work through some of our other emotions, but while we're still trusting at all times. And then we have the helmet, the helmet of salvation, verse 17. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. But the first one, that, that helmet, you put it on your head. Again, we see the picture in the Old Testament where, where God as the divine warrior puts on a helmet of salvation. It protects our brain. And again, it's somewhat twofold. 
It is the security of salvation, meaning, you know, maybe you, like me when I was a kid, am I saved, am I not, you know, struggling with that. The helmet of salvation guards our mind that because of Christ in you, you're saved. Do you believe Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead and you want him to be Lord? You're saved. You're secure in that. Now, we're going to wrestle with life. We're going to wrestle with sin. But you can't lose your salvation because you didn't buy your own salvation. You didn't earn it. You know, it was a gift, and so we are saved. But then it's also living it out. And that is the theme throughout Ephesians. Because you're saved, you live as the new person you are. That's the other We are saved, and we, we have this new salvation that begins now, that we're part of the kingdom now, not just when we go to heaven, but now. See how that can guard your mind? That I'm already, I've already been transferred into his kingdom. I'm secure, and now let's do this. Let's be all in. Let's engage in this battle. Let's spread the gospel. Let's show up for one another. This helmet of salvation, we're part of something bigger starting now. Salvation means to realize and appropriate one's new identity in Christ. Jesus isn't just an add-on. When I'm saved, I'm new. Now he's going to live through me to do great things. And then the last piece of armor is the sword. What is the sword? The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, meaning Scripture. Scripture. Some would argue this is the only offensive weapon uh, listed here, but the sword of the Spirit is Scripture. And what this word means is direct words. So it's not the, the logos. Sometimes the word is referred to as logos, meaning all of it. And in person, uh, Jesus is the, the logos. Um, there's a study. If you want to go do a fun study, go study the word logos. It's a Greek word, but the Jews got it. But it refers to God and his word. This is actually the word rima, different word. Rima means direct words of God. That's what it means, meaning you use the direct scripture. When Jesus was tempted, uh, you'll read it in Luke. When Jesus, uh, he was baptized, then he went out in the wilderness, and Satan came and tempted him. How did Jesus respond to every temptation? With the word of God. He quoted the Old Testament by word, and that's all he said. Until at the end he said, and, and now go away. <laughs> he quoted scripture and go away. Our response, when you're tempted, when you're doubting, whatever it is, quote scripture, which means what? You need to know it. So we read it, we memorize it, because it is a great tool. It is a great weapon against the enemy. Quote scripture, the direct words not just the idea. This is why, uh, if you've been in group with me, so often somebody will say something, and, and I think Amy said it in group a few weeks ago, which was awesome. Like, I think she said it to her husband. Where is that in Scripture? You know, where does it say it? Because our opinions, I, I won't use that phrase, but our opinions, we all have them, and, and uh, what really matters is God's Word. And so we want to counsel each other, which is great, but the best way we counsel each other is to point straight, straight to Scripture, have them read it, because this is where the power is, the sword of the Spirit. But now, finally, he finishes. Verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end keep alert, with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. What are his last words when speaking of spiritual battle? Prayer. 
prayer, that we pray at all times alert. The, the picture here is of a guard on a tower, you know, expecting attack, expecting the enemy, maybe not knowing where or exactly, but we're watching alert. You know, somebody on guard isn't going to fall asleep. They shouldn't fall asleep. And so they, we're alert in prayer, meaning we're watching. God, where are you moving? Where do you want us to go as a church, as a family? What do you want us to do? Where is the enemy attacking? We're on guard. Oh, he's going to attack unity? We know that. We're not surprised. When he attacks unity, we see it because we're watching and we're prayerful. We're praying for God to show us his will. We're praying for God to show up in our lives. We're praying for strength, for power, prayer. What's so great about prayer is prayer shows our complete dependence on God. If you lack a strong prayer life, maybe pride is a problem in your life because you think you're self-sufficient. Prayer makes us reliant on God, or it exposes how reliant we are on God. And guess what? He's our strength. We stand in Him. Our faith is in Him. It's all about Him. And so we pray. You know, we talk about it here at Common Ground that we're a battleship, not a cruise ship. We're a battleship. When you place your faith in Jesus as Lord, you join an army, God's army. You join his family. And as a battleship, we have this great mission. We're moving forward. So often the church has become like a cruise ship. And we go to get, which is good. We want to hear God's word. We want to hear good music so we can worship together. But really, when we enter into a church, we join Jesus and his mission. And we're a battleship, not a cruise ship. And I think that's another picture uh, that Paul is using in this military idea uh, and this picture of a Roman soldier is these Roman soldiers, what their army, what made them so strong that they would work together. Again, go, go watch 300 or some of these. The way that they could lock shields together, you know, and then some would put them above and they could step forward together and then use that. It was together. If the person to your right, if they fell and left a gap here, you were vulnerable. This picture here, he uses you, y'all. We battle together. So my application, our question here is, are you engaged in the battle? Are, are you fighting or are you consuming? Are you attending? And, and that's it. Are you in relationships with fellow believers? Are you prepared to share the gospel? If you're not, then you're kind of on the sideline, which means we're in the ranks and there's a hole. There's a hole where you're not in and we need you to be all that God would have us be. We need each of us playing our part. Like on a battleship, everybody has a part to play. And if you decide not to show up, it means something goes undone. We battle together. This is why for us, we focus so much on, on groups. Because we need to be in relationships with one another. Again, is groups the, the only way to do church life? No. Is it the right way? Not, not necessarily, but we're called to be in community. And so it's the way that we have chosen to do it so we can build relationships with one another and Move forward with the gospel. <laughs> Great answer. That, isn't that the right answer? Oh, here's what God says. Okay. <laughs> Put on the full armor of God. Okay. There's a lot of wisdom in that. Obedience regardless. That's faith. That's faith. Now, we're going to respond in worship. We're going to take the Lord's Supper as we sing a couple more songs. But I want to turn to 1 Corinthians and read to you about the Lord's Supper. Because as we move here, this is our time of response. And Paul, when he was writing to the, the Corinthian church, this Corinthian church had problems, a lot, a lot of problems. They had disunity. They had fighting among themselves. They had people living in open sin. And everybody else was like, yeah, whatever, no big deal. And so Paul then here 
begins to talk about the Lord's Supper, and he tells them about it, and then he explains the attitude by which we should take it. So listen to these words. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, the cu this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. The picture here is again that of the belt of truth, that we are honest between us and God, and then we take the Lord's Supper. So discern yourself, discern the body. Are you in open rebellion in some way? Does the enemy have a foothold in your life in some way? Earlier in Ephesians, we saw this, you know, do not be angry, do not hold on to bitterness, because that's a foothold for the devil. It's the same picture here in 1 Corinthians. Do you have something with a fellow believer you need to deal with? You might need to deal with that before you take the Lord's Supper. Or you might need to commit to do it and take the Lord's Supper. Is there other sin in your life that you need to just stay there and pray for a minute? Give it to Him. Ask for Him to fill you and get over that sin. And then come take the Lord's Supper. Then we take with, a, with an open heart, a joyful heart of thanksgiving because we are saved in Jesus by Him alone, not by our deeds. And we are purified because of His blood and His body. And so let's worship Let's take the Lord's Supper remembering what he's done. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for the Lord's Supper when we can remember what you've done for us. We can recognize that it was your blood that cleanses us, that it was your body broken so ours doesn't have to be. God, that we have eternal salvation because of what you've done. God, and, and now we, we look at this battle that we're in. The enemy wants to take us down. God, and we can... We could go story after story after story of Christians who have been sidelined by the devil, by their own sin, by their own flesh. We could give story after story of churches who have been destroyed by disunity, by pride, by selfishness, where the enemy just got in there or let them do their own thing. We don't want that. We want you. We want to see your kingdom expand in our community, but we also want to see it expand in our own hearts, that you would get more of us God, I ask, Holy Spirit, I ask, if any of us in here, if there's a foothold in our life that the enemy has, show us. And then give us the power in you. Let us stand in you to have victory. And we go together, meaning maybe we need to tell somebody. Maybe we need to get help from somebody. Lead us your, your direction. Have your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>